Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and retro gaming. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. This is episode 314. Our guest this week is Scott Hansen, former of Retrobright. Scott holds a BA in finance from the University of South Dakota and a master's in mechanical engineering from Texas A&M. Previously, Scott was on the MacFab Engineering Podcast episodes, episode 77, the Idea Fab Podcast, episode 223, the Inverted Success Funnel, and episode 296, Idea Fab, Does This Podcast Change the World? So uh, on those episodes is where Scott and his co-host Eric of the Idea Tank podcast come up with million or perhaps billion dollar ideas and give them away for free. This week, Scott joins us to discuss his next big idea. Dun, dun, dun. Retrobrite. <laughs> Retrobrite right here. This is the next big idea. The next big uh, idea in a spray bottle. It is. It, it solves solves the world's problems. It really does. <laughs> One spray at a time. <laughs> One spray at a time. One you know, I mean, this is One marketing ounce. gold right here. I mean, actually, yeah, you know. Yeah, so it, wait. Uh, this is this is off to a fantastic start. Uh, okay, we, Scott has been on our podcast multiple times before, uh, doing some uh, the Idea Fab podcast where we basically come up with ideas. And each time we've done that, uh, Scott and Eric have uh, basically the, the 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 podcast have been involved around the uh, the Idea Fab. Um, but so now that we have Scott on here uh as a as a singular guest i'd love to go and talk about a little bit about your background before getting into retrobright uh so scott you currently work at or you have worked at nasa what is uh what's the deal with that yeah that's uh that's my full-time job right now is um i'm an engineer at nasa um at johnson space center specifically uh, I'm a thermal engineer, and what that means is I I make things cool or hot. I keep the keep the people on the spaceship happy at a happy, like room temperature. Um, if they get too hot, they get mad at us. If they get too cold, they get mad at us. Um, so yeah, that that's what I do. And um, there's part of my job is doing uh, technology development. So I'm in a lab part of the day working on different types of heat exchangers, um, radiators, uh, coatings, do, do some coatings work for, for radiators to make them uh, more efficient. And then also uh, do, some, do some fluids development work as well. And then um, another hat of wear is some, I do some system management work, um, overseeing uh, various manned spacecraft that are, that are going up. So I got the first question here is you mentioned room temperature. Who specifies yeah. that? Uh, yeah. Like, it, so I'm imagining that because everyone's idea, like what the room should be, temp like the yes. temperature is different. Is there a thermostat that the astronauts can change? Or is there like, is there a document? There's got to be a document that's like room temperature defined. Yeah, and like everything, but it's yeah. not like Kelvin well, and not Fahrenheit and Celsius. 
Yeah. Well, NASA has documents for everything. Um, and like multi-page, like hundreds of pages of documents, um, and specifically requirements. Um, and so, yeah, they, they've got a box. If you've ever looked at a psychrometric chart before, it has, it's a really funky looking chart, um, that is really, really useful, but it's got, um, uh, temperatures, it's got like wet bulb temperatures on it, dry bulb temperatures, um, grains of water that are in the air. It's really, it's really a nerdy type of, uh, chart, uh, but really cool and really useful. But anyway, inside that bar, that box, uh, and that chart, there's like a temperature and humidity an upper bounds and a lower bounds that, that you want to stay in and be able to control to within that area. So yeah, if you, if you, if you get a little hot, you can kind of cool it down. If you get a little warm, you can cool, warm it up a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, there's ways to control it and, um, there's lots of documents, uh, <laughs> lots of documents and test reports too. Uh, cause they got to qualify. They, they say that they can do the thing and then you got to make sure that the thing that you built does the thing that you said you can build, which I'm sure you do it at your, uh, at MacroFab. uh, customers come to you and say, I want to do a thing that does X, Y, Z. So you build it and then you verify that it can do X, Y, Z. Oh, for sure. The, um, it, I just find it fascinating. Like, cause you just mentioned it as, as, room temperature and i'm like i bet that's more to that than you know the meets the eye oh yeah yeah but it, in some ways it's no it's no more complicated than than what's like in your car mm-hmm. um because uh, you've got you've got a uh, heater and a cooler like an ac system in your car um we we just cool it with typically a pump fluid loop that rejects out to like your radiator, which your car has got a radiator. We do that. Um, uh, and space is really cold. So it's like, we got all the cooling we could ever want as long as our radiators are pointed in the right direction. If you point it to the sun, say, you'll, they could get you'll really burn up and hot, die. Right? You'll burn up and die. But, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just like your car, but some, the temperature swings are incredible, right? Right. So, so right. this is a great question from chat, Scott. Is uh, if the if the control system went down, would the astronauts overheat or would they freeze? Ooh, that is a wonderful question. It depends where they are. Um, In space. (laughs) 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 I know what you're saying because either they're in the shadow of Earth or on the sunny side of Earth, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And they're moving. They they orbit the Earth once every about. uh, 90 minutes. So, uh, uh, there is kind of a thermal equilibrium that the, that the vehicle reaches, but, uh, it still gets a pretty big swing. Um, so the, they'll likely do both. And a lot of times the vehicle does like the Apollo spacecraft on the way to the moon, they did a thing called the barbecue roll where the, the vehicle just rotated. It was side to sun. So the sun was, if this is the Apollo spacecraft, the sun was hitting it from this way and it would just rotate and rotate and rotate around. And they called it the barbecue roll. And it kind of kept everything like hot and cool at the same time. Huh. Evenly cooked it. (laughs) Uh, Well, well done. So, so uh, another uh, quick question about your background that I'm curious about. Um, 
you said that uh, you you have a BA in finance and you got a master's in yeah. mechanical engineering. Did you go from finance directly to mechanical engineering or was there something else involved in there? Yeah, I, it was, no, I, I went straight. I, like the semester after I graduated from finance, I went into engineering and it was painful <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Very, very painful. But yeah, I went to University of South Dakota for finance. And about my junior year, I, um, uh, well, my junior year, I came down to NASA to work as uh, an intern, but in the, I was in the education department and the business department as well. And re- working down there, I was like, man, I'm kind of a nerd. I like this engineering stuff. I think I need to do this engineering stuff. <laughs> And I'm, I'm, I was far enough along with business where I that it's decided to finish it. Um, and so I finished it and uh, immediately went back to school for engineering uh, at Texas A&M. And so, yeah, I started off, I called myself the fifth year freshman when I started off because I was like <laughs> literally starting brand new, but it was my fifth year of college. Wow. Uh, what did you specialize um, in for your master's? Uh, it's a, uh, heat transfer. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was, yeah. yeah. And that's what I do right now. It's heat transfer. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a long road because uh, I took like three, four years of undergrad classes. And then I took a shot and applied to a master's program and they, they let me in. They took me. I just noticed that as being odd. You don't normally see not having the bachelor's and then just jumping headfirst into the master's. Yeah, everybody gets to engineering and they're like, oh, screw this, I'm out. And goes over to business. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lonely road. All right, well, uh, let's move on to uh, Retrobrite, which is a product that you have designed or developed, I guess. Uh, would you like to give us just what's an overview of Retrobrite? Yeah. Um, so Retrobrite is um, it's a product that restores plastics back to their original color, uh, yellow plastics back to their original color. Um, and so there, there's a lot of, um, uh, just say, homebrewed types of recipes out there on what re- how to make your own Retrobrite. Um, and um, how to use it as well, and a lot of different types of um, uh, of retrobrighting processes you can go to. And uh, what I decided to do uh, a couple of years ago was uh, make my own formula, uh, a stable formula. And, it's, and I we just switched over to this spray bottle to make it a little bit easier to apply. Um, but uh, yeah, we made our made our own formula and. Um, to restore yellow plastics. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Um, so the active ingredient in it is hydrogen peroxide. It's hydrogen peroxide based. There's several other ways you can go about making these retro bright formulas. Um, and, uh, yeah, you spray it on, you put it out in the sun. Um, that hydrogen peroxide breaks down, which we'll talk about here in a little while, but it breaks down and causes that yellowed plastic to turn back to its original color. So you don't have to look at your 
your yellowed uh, Sega Dreamcast uh, or yellowed Game Boy uh, anymore. So yeah, this is a it's a product that you don't have to buy five different types of chemicals and mix them all together. Um, it's just a convenient spray bottle now. So that's so this- the that's the summary of it. So it applies to, I guess, what kinds of plastics? Is this just like uh, ancient video game consoles or uh, toys, or yeah. what, what all can this be used on? Yeah, that's a, a really good that's a really good question. Um, so the primary use I would say is um, is uh, yeah, uh, your video game consoles, uh, computer parts. Um, I've got an old speaker here that this is one of my original, you can see some of the before and after it might not show up too clearly. So there's a, the, the before and then the after, um, this was one that I had, uh, in our house, uh, that really got me curious about this retro bright process in the first place. But yeah, toys, um, there's actually mobile home showers is a big market for this. Um, mobile sh- home showers are, uh, the same type of plastic that are used in, in, Computer, a lot of computer parts, which is the ABS, um, and those turn yellow. And so I've got a, a, uh, a lot of interest in people, instead of having to tear out their shower and spend three or $5,000 putting in a new shower, they can use this and it re- does re- restore it back. Um, also, uh, jacuzzi jets is another interesting area. So the, the tub of a jacuzzi is usually... Um, uh, at least the inside ones uh, are are white, but the jets end up turning this nice off off yellow um, color. But uh, the retrobrite can take it back to its original color. Um, yeah, it's almost like it's tobacco stained in a way. Yeah, it's like you've been smoking in there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the walls at NASA are that color, and that's what we joke about is. They used to be white, but back in the '60s, everybody smoked there so much that they've all turned yellow now. <laughs> Gross! Don't touch the walls. <laughs> <laughs> don't, touch, don't touch the walls. That's right. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different different other plastics uh, it can work on. And what it doesn't work on is typically uh, like a Lexan or acrylic. Uh, your headlights. That's a, that's a big area that it doesn't work on. Um, and your headlights. It's interesting if you if you look at headlights on an older car that the headlights are really yellowed, um, and you look at the back of the car, the back of the headlight back headlights will be fine. Uh, they'll be nice and and look nice and polished, but the front of them are very yellowed, and it's more of a uh, from the from the wind and the rocks and the particles at the front of the car hits. It's more of an erosion process that causes that to yellow uh, instead of just a sunlight or light light beams from the headlights UV itself. De- 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 yeah. Excuse me, UV degradation. Degradation, yeah. De- degradation, that's it. Yeah. Um, I'm not the only one that has problems with that word. It's a big <laughs> one. <laughs> it's um, hard for us that went to public college in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> you should have went to, well, what was your idea? Uh, part, uh, or Steven, I think your idea on the last one was the Joe. Oh, the college, college uh, of average Joes. College of average Joes. That's right. Yeah, I should have taken. Should have went there. 
Spelling um, is just a, a class. So, yeah, anyway, the it doesn't work on acrylics or Lexan. The, for car headlights, you, you need to, to really do it well. You need to do like an abrasive polish on that. Um, I do have a list on our website. Our website's uh, retro-bright.com, and that bright is B-R-I-T-E. Um, I've done a, a list uh, of of plastics, common plastics, um, their typical uses, and if RetroBright will work on it or won't work on it. Um, so that's available out there, and I'm always looking to expand that list. So if anybody has any uh, feedback on, on that list, uh, let me know because uh, I want to keep that up to date and expand the, the body of knowledge about around retro writing. Um, also on our website, I, I have a list of uh, kind of instructions on how to find out what type of plastic you have, uh, if you're curious if retro will work on it or not. Um, and there's several different ways you can determine your, the type of plastic you have. Um, there's, I think of it in non-destructive methods and then destructive methods. Um, the non-destructive methods are, um, you can do like a float test. So you put a piece of plastic in a, a, uh, uh, bucket of water and you see if it floats or sinks. Um, it kind of, the method isn't the best cause you, uh, you're only breaking your product or your plastic into one or two groups. Um, and then, uh, you can. The, the easiest method is just to look on the bottom bottom of like your plastic and it's got this little recycle number on there and you can compare that to a chart. Um, and then uh, the just more destructive methods are a bending or breaking test. Uh, so you can just take a little sample and see if it bends or breaks. Um, and then the real cool method is the, the flame test where you take a piece of it and light it on fire and you can tell what type of plastic it is by um, uh, like the scent of the flame, the color of the flame, if it drips molten plastic pieces uh, uh, off from the flame, uh, from the plastic itself or not. So, yeah. Uh, so, so how did a accountant turned mechanical engineer that works for NASA doing thermal management get into restoring plastics yeah <laughs> I, I wonder that sometimes now when you wow. take a wow. I, as i was saying that i'm like oh it totally makes sense though <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so so it's uh, the story is kind of long but it started in it, it actually started in 1989 um and i was i was about four years old and i remember getting um, a, my uncle sent me a, a toy space shuttle, um, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, I love the space shuttle. Uh, I mean, I still do. We're gonna ask. Um, and I had I kept the toy. I kept this toy shuttle um, all along. Packed it in a box, of course, when I went off to college. And um, it wasn't until a few years ago when my my parents. Uh, they they moved moved homes and they're like here take all your stuff and um, <laughs> I get I get they come down with all these these all these boxes and um, I'm going through them and I find my old space shuttle that I absolutely love uh, but it's all yellowed 
Um, and I was like, just thinking like, how can I make, I kind of like to fix things up. Um, and just was looking around for different methods on how to, how to, how to fix it up. And I came across this method of people using hydrogen peroxide to uh, restore their yellow plastic. And so I gave it a whirl and it, it worked. Um, it was a really confusing process though on, uh, and there's a million different ways to go about doing it. Um, uh, some people use really high strength hydrogen peroxide. Um, I've seen people use like chlorine gas, which I don't recommend, uh, <laughs> to, to That's restore these quite things. dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the best. It's not the best. Um, there's some other ones. Um, there, there's one I saw the other day, somebody used, um, on Twitter was using chlorine. I wrote this down cause I wanted to mention it here cause it's ridiculous. They use chlorine trifluoride, which is, um, I didn't know anything about this until, until I saw this post, but, um, uh, basically it sets fire, it sets fire on contact with glass, rust, concrete, um, <laughs> And uh, asbestos, which is another thing, like asbestos is supposed to prevent fire, but when these th- things come in contact, they just explode into fire. Um, so I can only imagine what it does to your your Game Boy when you drop it in there. Um, I'm just imagining like where you get that at. Amazon, yeah, I don't probably. know. That's that's I've, that's one of those chemicals that you have to store in a very specific bottle. Like I can't remember what it was, but one of the most corrosive. Uh, chemicals uh has to be stored in i don't know some kind of like fluorine bottle because it'll eat anything that you put it in other than this and it sounds on its way towards a chemical like that yeah that's 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 funny you mentioned that because i watched a a video about about this and they were saying it can be stored in a a metal container but it has to be treated with uh, fluorine right uh, which is perfectly inert um and then even that, like, I'm not going to trust trust a little layer of fluorine to protect me. There's, like, no way I'm storing that at my house. So, anyway, I'm, I imagine that person's uh, either dead or uh, working <laughs> on dying. <laughs> Last post, 2016. Th- these are some pretty <laughs> extreme measures to uh, get to re- uh, or get yellow off of your, your plastic. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, going back to your question, Parker, it was uh, an old space shuttle toy that I had around here um, that I kept for a long time that I just was curious. Uh, and curious, curiosity led me down to one path, led me down to another path, led me down to another path. And now I'm, yeah, making retro bright. Yeah, so, so what made that, that jump from... Yeah, I combined some chemicals that I found at like Ace Hardware Store and like uh, Walgreens, and then I'm like, "Oh, I can sell this now." Yeah, like, where's that no, gap that's, there? That, that's like that's the Idea Tank podcast. The uh, yeah, we, we, but like taking it a little one step farther instead of giving it away, I thought it was a really good idea. I really like um. The, it, it's ease of use, relatively easy, easy to use. You do have to go through a couple steps to do it, but uh, instead of you know going out and finding all the different types of chemicals, uh, not chemicals, um, chem- yeah, chemicals to make your own, 
retrobrite um, to some people uh, expose it to UV light uh, as well. Um, and we're doing doing a little work on determining what the best UV light to use is and what what wavelength to use is. But really, like, wanted to help people do this because I know that a lot of people have toys out there. As I was telling people about what I was doing, they were really interested in it as well, um, and really wanted to help help people come up with an easy way to restore their old toys and and even make make all things new. Um, it's easy. It's an easy solution to uh, restoring restoring your plastic and take some it takes the guesswork out of it because nothing's I kind of don't don't like going into a project and not really especially with when you only have one of thing and you're not making something brand new when you have this toy that you don't want anything to happen to it you want to know when you apply this weird chemical to it that it's going to be okay at the end you're not going to like destroy it and it's not going to burn you're not going to treat it with your chlorine trifluoride and it's going to immediately burst in flames, (laughs) including with you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So So that's kind of how I made, made the jump is just wanting to help people. And with like the idea tank podcast, I have a kind of entrepreneurial background on the business side of things. And so just decided to make the leap. So, what exactly is yellowing and what causes it and um, w- yeah. why is it something that we want to get rid of? Yeah. So the kind of the short answer is um, that the plastic's yellow because of there's this things called chromophores in, in every plastic. Um, some plastics have less of them. Some have more. Um, uh, but those chromophores have, they call them pi bonds and some, pi, we're going to get really nerdy here. Uh, chemical engineering, Let's not too, it. not too much, just, just enough though. But, um, though that chromophore and those pi bonds are the area of the molecule and the plastic that's, uh, chained that is responsible for giving a plastic its color. Um, and over time, those chromophores break down. Um, and, uh, they, uh, break down for a variety of different reasons, but, uh, they change the color, the wavelength of light that we see. Um, so they absorb more, more light, uh, in different wavelengths and reflect more in, in the yellow wavelengths so that we, that's what we see. Um, and so that's the, that's a short answer on why plastic's yellow. Um, it's as chromophores um and going a little bit deeper here and by the way this is uh i've written several blog posts on our website uh that you can go to 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 read more uh, about this uh and people are welcome to do that but uh uh those the way that those chromophores uh change uh typically happens in our, in our own homes, uh, through light, uh, through light exposure and oxygen exposure. Um, it also can happen through heat. So like in your car, um, like we have a plastic toilet seat in our car for our kids and that thing yellows so darn quick, uh, because summertime in Houston, that's just going to degrade faster. Um, so you can also, uh, 
degrade your plastic through just mechanical action with stress and shear, uh, biodegradation like fungi, fungus, fungi, bacteria in your shower. I've got a, some plastic parts in your shower that like it kind of turned pink uh, from certain bacteria uh, that are in your shower. Um, and then there's chemical degradation. Deg, there, there's that word degradation uh, <laughs> from acids, bases. Should have went to the school of average Joe's. Uh, from uh, acids, bases, solvents. Um, and so that's, uh, that's a mechanism of uh, what's actually causing it to, to yellow. Um, and so going a little bit, one, one layer deeper uh, in terms of what's actually going on in the plastic, uh, there's three different phases um, or three different steps that, that happen within the plastic. There's an initiation phase, a propagation phase, and a termination phase. So uh, in that initiation phase, um, that plastic is exposed to the light or the heat or those things that I mentioned uh, before. And um, there's radicals that are formed. Uh, those radicals are, are want to react with things around them. Um, and they react with other compounds in the, in the plastic and specifically some of those chromophores and those pi bonds. Um, and the second step is at propagation. And that's where those radicals react with those things. And the third step is their termination. Uh, and that's when that ra- radicals fully reacted with with those pi bonds uh, and the chromophores, and it's um, s- stable. I'm using air quotes here, big air quotes, but it's stable uh, again. And it's kind of an ongoing process uh, as well. And from uh, uh, the research we've done, there's a couple of really good resources. Um, one of them is the it's the handbook of photo deg- uh, handbook of plastic deg- degradation. <laughs> And then the uh, uh, the other resources, uh, photo degradation and photo stabilization of polymers. Um, so those two sources I pull a lot of information from, but it's a, it's really a surface uh, phenomenon on the surface of the plastic, um, and that propagates down through time. Uh, but so that's uh, that's probably all you would ever want to know about photodegradation uh, and and why plastics turn yellow um it i'm kind of i'm kind of summarizing uh here in, in very broad strokes because polymer science is a very like it's a very complicated topic like people spend years in college study studying getting their phds like in just one type of plastic um, and, uh, I've kind of writ- written up these articles too on, uh, just general principles on how this yellowing happens. Every plastic might be a little bit different, but they can generally be, be grouped into those categories, uh, in this, in this process. So, um, so when, yeah, when, a, when a chromophore de- degrades, what is actually happening? Are bonds being changed or are they broken? Yeah, yeah but bonds are, are being changed. Uh, and let me, 
Um, th- so this is from that photo degradation and photo photosavialization of polymers. Um, it, it states that it's due to the formation of conjugated double bonds or other types of chromophore mm-hmm. groups. So there's typically you don't have those bonds in your plastic. Um, uh, and those bonds are created um, as it breaks down. And that causes the yellowing. So, so does the polymer change uh, or polymer chain actually change physical size? Like, what what is causing the me- what's the mechanism that makes it change color in terms of which, like, which direction does it go in terms of coloring? Is that due to the length of a polymer chain and the way light is reflected off of it? Can you say that again? I guess I'm uh, I, the part that I'm confused about, and this is just me not knowing much if anything about chemistry but uh what what about changing the bonds of this actually cause it to change its color okay yeah i see what you're saying so it's the um what what, let me repeat your question it's about the what so why does it turn specifically yellow is that what you're asking well i guess okay so so what's going through my mind with this is okay so a lot of retro bright applies to um a lot of plastics that are like white and gray and they kind of turn yellow but wouldn't this also apply to other colors that shift into other colors at this and what is the mechanism that's actually causing that i mean obviously it's these chromophores breaking down but i guess i guess i'm getting more to like the physical side I'm, i'm curious about what causes the color change itself? Does the polymer, the molecule change physical size and that reflects light differently? Or do you know what the mechanism is behind it? I see what you're saying. So yeah, I see what you're saying now. So yeah, um, think of it. So the white light is all the colors of the light. So the the light uh, that we see, like this blue shirt that I'm wearing right now, it absorbs all the colors of light except the except blue and it reflects that. Mm-hmm. So within, within this, the plastics, um, those chromophores are, are ab- basically absorbing everything except that yellow light. And that's what we see uh, and what's, what's getting reflected back. So it is a changing the size, essentially the size of the molecule uh, with those, it's typically a double or triple bond that happens within those pi bonds that causes that to yellow. And um, it works, I've, I've seen plastic, uh, colored plastics turn yellow as well. And the same thing with, with that. Um, and then there is another thing specifically with um, uh, bromine. You might have come across articles about, uh, and there's a lot out there about um, does bromine cause yellowing? Um, and it it's, my answer to that question is maybe there's some people that are like, yes, slam dunk it is. Um, and some people are, are no, like that myth is totally busted. Um, I'm on a, from a standpoint of possibly, possibly, um, bromine is added to a lot of plastics to prevent fire, uh, uh, fire from spreading in the plastic or, or suppress the fire. Uh, sorry, to suppress the fire. Uh, or act as a fire retardant within the plastic itself. Um, to uh, degradation the fire. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. 
it's right. a fire suppression compound <clears throat> yeah molecule yeah. i guess in this case yeah and so yeah, that, that's a, that's yeah that's when oh is it yellow yeah it's naturally yellow it's like a okay. real real dark yellow um like i yeah, when color. i was i can't remember how when this was but when i was looking into this kind of uh Restoration of plastics, yellowing of plastics. That was the that was the current internet argument was if this fire retardant material was causing the yellowing or not. And it was if I think it was not really just that, but it was if using these comp or these chemicals to basically restore the color would was that actually like ripping out the bromine out of the plastic and like making the plastic brittle and stuff like that. That was, that was the, uh, debate back in, you know, this has to be like 10 years ago at this point. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to no, remember. That's a, that's a good, that's a good question. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that we're looking at doing is, um, you know what Instron machines are? They're like, you put, you put these, uh, they call them uh, dog bones in, they kind of look like a dog bone, um, and, but small. And this machine just pulls, pulls uh, the plastic apart. Um, and then there's other machines that, that bend the plastic. And what I'm looking at doing is getting some, some plastics uh, that are yellowed, uh, using retrobrite on some of them, keeping some as control, and then doing some of the Instron tests where you pull them and bend them, break them, to see if that, like, is it retrobrite actually hurting it? Um, from my, my initial guess on that, my initial hypothesis is that it isn't. Uh, it doesn't hurt, hurt it, uh, especially in comparison to the years of light hitting it. Um, like, that's probably going to be your mo most significant source of degradation uh, in, the, in, the, in the plastic. Yeah, I think that's what it boiled down to uh, then as well. But it would be nice to finally like close that chapter of my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't. I might. I'm not going to provide closure to you here. <laughs> uh, the, the debate it, rages the, on. It does. It does. Um, and part of the reason why I mentioned a couple of sources from the that handbook of uh, polymer degradation. Uh, it, they did a lot of experiments in there of of using multiple types of these bromine fire retardants, BFRs, they call them. Um, and it's not like they're just adding bromine into their, their pot of plastic as they're mixing it up. There's several different types of these BFRs that they put in, uh, the bromine fire retarders. And it, it, it goes back to the polymer science. It's very complicated um, and in this, in that handbook, they, um, they do some experiments where they add, add these, uh, retard, these retarders into certain set of plastics and some of them change colors and yellow and some of them don't. Um, and for that varies for every different type of plastic too. And, uh, there's more, more about that on our, on our website, but basically you can't really conclude and do a blanket statement that yes, it bromine's a problem or no bromine isn't it, it goes back to polymer science is really complicated 
and everything, every plastic is unique. Every one of those BFRs is unique and it's kind of a case by case basis. Um, but what I'm trying to find out is what is the primary ABS, uh, fire retarder used and specifically used for different products as well. Um, something too interesting that, that you may might've noticed with something, some of your computer parts is you can have like a piece of hardware like this, that there's two, two pieces of plastic that are, that are joined up. They're definitely made independently of one another, but they're mechanically joined together. And like one of them completely yellows and the other one doesn't yellow at all. And I'm like, whenever I see them, I'm like, what's going on there? How, That's classic with the, uh, why, the didn't Super Nintendo use, why didn't you just the, use that plastic for everything? Different contractor. That's a Super yeah. Nintendo? Different. The Super Nintendo, yeah, Super if Nintendo you look at old Super Nintendos, the top portion will yellow like crazy and the bottom does not. Well, yeah, different contractors, different BFRs. So, yep. um, yeah, that's all, all you ever wanted to know about uh, why plastic. Plastic's yellow. I'm sorry I can't provide you closure, Parker. <laughs> no, I was, I was looking forward to it. Um, so let's go into, so how does, so how do you, uh, so how does Retrobrite work in this regard in removing the yellowing? And, act, and while you're explaining, I'm actually going to find my Super Nintendo and see if it actually has that split color. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, the short, short answer on how Retrobrite works is um, it's hydrogen peroxide uh, in there. Um, and that's the, the, the kind of the hand wavy answer. It just uses hydrogen peroxide. Uh, and it changes those chromophores back to its original color. That's all. It's not the droids you're looking for. Um, <laughs> so going, in, going into it a little bit more, it's uh, you got it. There it is. That's the Nintendo. So, yeah, I have the split color. Yep. And it's not, cool. and it's not UV because this has been in that cabinet. When I put it in there, it was all this color. And yeah. I just pulled it out, and now it's that and color. And the top portion is yellowed. Yeah. yeah. And actually, look how yellow. Well, it's kind of hard because the cool. camera's white balancing it. But if you compare that, there you go. Yep. How yellowed this. This is a super scope adapter. Oh, man. Whoa. But it's super yellow. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that's uh you don't need light to uh turn it yellow it can just uh oxidize by itself just through oxygen environment hmm. uh but anyway getting back to how retro bright works um it the the magic word is oxidation potential um and so oxidation uh potential uh basically it represents the amount of energy that's required to lose or gain electrons uh, from a from a chemical, um, and so uh, there's all kinds of oxidants out there. Um, hydrogen peroxide is one of them, uh, and ozone's another one one of them. Uh, again, I'm looking at a chart on on our website uh, that has a, a good list of them. Uh, chlorine gas is one of them. Uh, there's uh, Ah, so that's why some people are trying to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sodium hypochlorate is another one, or sodium percarbonate. Um, mentioned ozone, uh, but, but uh, hydrogen peroxide, sodium percarbonate, and ozone are probably the top three 
um, uh, oxidation potential chemicals that people use for retrobriting or that I've seen. Um, we also have that one guy that uses that chlorine trifluoride that's out there. Um, but, uh, um, and yes, I'm going to pick on him forever. Uh, so the hydrogen peroxide, uh, the chemical formula, I'm going to go, I'm going chemical, chemical engineering on you now, but the, uh, the chemical formula for hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. Um, when you expose hydrogen peroxide to light or heat, uh, it breaks down into that H2O, so a water, and then there's a free oxygen molecule. And that molecule is really unstable. Um, and it either, uh, uh, it, it forms with other free oxygen molecules to form O2, which we know is oxygen gas. <clears throat> and then um, uh, ozone, uh, similarly is O3 um, by itself, but that's pretty unstable and that breaks down uh, into eventually just oxygen gas. Uh, but when it breaks down, it's O2 and a free radical oxygen. Um, and then uh, sodium percarbonate, uh, that's another common one. It's That's what OxyClean's active ingredient, and that's commonly known as uh, solid hydrogen peroxide because when you add uh, water to it, it breaks that sodium uh, percarbonate down into um, soda ash and water. Um, and that hydrogen peroxide uh, breaks down further into water and free oxygen mo molecule. Um, so um, all those oxygen oxidants that I mentioned, they have uh, a electrochemical potential that's measured in volts. Um, and the higher the volts, the more, uh, the more air quotes powerful it is. Um, one of the top ones on here, I'll read the top four, uh, the a free radical, which is an OH bond, uh, OH group is 2.8 volts. Uh, ozone atom is 2.42 volts. Uh, ozone is 2.07 and then hydrogen peroxide is 1.78. Um, and so, uh, it's a fairly powerful, uh, uh, Oxidant. Uh, it's not the most powerful out there, but it's hydrogen peroxide. Is something that's easy, readily attainable. You don't have the concerns with using ozone um, uh, out there, and so that's why that's part of the reason why we use hydrogen peroxide in our in our our mixture. Um, but uh, going a little bit deeper, um, part of the process of using retrobrite is we apply it. Uh, this hydrogen peroxide, and then uh, we set it out in the sun to make uh, to break down that hydrogen peroxide because uh, hydrogen peroxide breaks down in light and heat, and you kind of get the benefit of both light and heat when you set it out into the sun. Um, and basically, you get more free radicals and you get more of those oxygen bonds um, as you break down your hydrogen peroxide, uh, and so you get more more uh, uh, oxidation potential. And uh, so what actually goes on in 
your plastic as as the those free radicals that oxidants uh, as those oxidants work uh, in and through the plastic uh, is uh, basically goes through uh, that uh, another process of uh, degradation where those new bi pi bonds are created um, and the chromophores are are destroyed and the plastic uh, goes back to its original colors because it destroys those um, uh, the new chromophore chromophores that have been created through that photo degradation. Um, and again, it's kind of hand wavy uh, because it's very uh, each plastic is unique. It's it's. Um, like, is it going it's, to go uh, back and reform the chromophores each. the same way? What's that? Oh, what I'm saying is, so like, because you're initiating another chain reaction to hopefully make the chromophores go back to their molecule shape they used to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So then can it yellow again? Yes. That's, that's a, that's a, uh, a trick that we're working on right now um, is it, it does it can go back to a uh, yellowing. It's a process that kind of never ends. But we're we're working right now on basically. I'm I think of it as a sunblock for your your plastic, um, a spray that you can a UV protectant that you can apply that's specifically formulated for electronics uh, that you can apply, and it basically acts like a sunblock for your your computer. I'm curious so, yeah, if the, um, if you have uh, so a lot of our a lot of our listeners are designers and and deal with plastics. I'm curious your thoughts or if you know any ways to combat yellowing before it even begins. Uh, in other words, like when you're when you're initially injecting plastics, are there some to are there like is ABS something to avoid if you want to worry? Uh, if you are worried about yellowing, like do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I would reach out to the person that you are uh, working with and ask them what type of plastic you're using and what additives are going into the to the plastic, uh, specifically if there's any fire retarders going in there, and cross-reference that with uh, I I go to that that handbook of plastic uh, handbook of polymer degradation and take a look at that um, and see if there's been any if there's any reference to the plastic that that person is using and the the, the fire retarder that they're they're using um, it, it's almost impossible to know um, I would also it's almost impossible to know but there's things you can do to do some due diligence to determine if you're going to come up with a good a good product or not um, make sure you're not going to be using a known bad. Right, right. Um, and ask them too if they have have done any testing on the photodegradation or oxidation uh, of the plastic itself. Um, a good company would have done that. I'm curious now if NASA has documents about yellowing plastics. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. <laughs> You know, I, I was actually thinking, um, going back to the Super Nintendo, 
that is it's because it's usually the top is yellow and the bottom is not and we know it's not it's usually not caused by uv so it's not like sun is not hitting the bottom basically i wonder if the bottom has different additives that might make it more I'm, this is what i'm thinking is like a kid is like using it the bottom is going to take more impact like dropping it being slammed against like a corner on like a entertainment center and that kind of stuff so i wonder if that's what it is it's, it's got a different combination of 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 polymers in it where it still says you know abs but it's special blend it, that's why it's that way why that certain product is so prolific to be that way yellow that way yeah it could be it could be a totally different plastic uh on there um it could be a batch um something that i didn't talk about but um uh, in order for it to go through the photodegradation process um it has to has have impurities in it um there's internal <laughs> so, impurities so, sorry this scott steven just grabbed his snus this, yeah the, this is the, this is the show and tell super nintendo what's interesting is i bought mine brand new in 1996 and it does not have yellowing on the top or bottom wow now i know yeah, this was late in the uh i bought this just before christmas of 1996 so the the nintendo 64 was just about to come out so this was a very late model mm. they probably figured yeah, it out by then i think so interesting do you know what year yours was parker no actually sorry to interrupt you so scott keep going yeah oh so i'm, I'm jumping back to the um so ho hopefully steven they probably figured out what your what was going on with your plastic but um there's also uh internal uh impurities and external impurities that can be in just your batch of plastic that you're mixing up um there's things like traces of solvents um pollution from the atmosphere uh naphthalene polybutanides uh, in there there's pigments dyes and thermal stabilizers photo stabilizers that can go in there and trace metals of uh traces of metals and metal oxides that can go into your batch of plastic that you, you don't really intend for them to be in there but just because of the environment you're working in they may be added in and that might uh that might lead to uh yellow plastic so it could be a plastic change or it could be a process change when there are mixing up the plastic hmm. or they got good american plastic instead of cheap chinese plastic <laughs> straight from the gulf J J japanese plastic <laughs> i do not know what year mine is because uh, i bought mine used oh, okay um it does say the bottom just says abs on the bottom Mm -hmm. uh, it does have a serial number, but I did a quick Google search, and there's not really a enter serial number get year uh, for <laughs> Super Nintendos, it seems. There should be. Um, yeah, there's uh, one other thing about Retrobrite, too. It's um, 
some people wonder if it's a bleaching process. Um, and it, it really is a bleaching process at the end of the day. Um, Clorox uh, uses a um, uh, sodium hypochlorite uh, as its active oxidation uh, oxidant uh, with, within bleach, uh, but it's way diluted down. It's only like four to six percent uh, sodium hypochlorite uh, in bleach, uh, but it works essentially the same way as a bleaching agent. Um, you could you could use retrobrite to ble- bleach your clothes. Um, and it, I don't recommend it. Um, and that's another thing with this. If you get it on your clothes, um, you, you don't need to like worry about bleaching your clothes right away. It, it washes off and you'll be fine. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, it's like bleach very plastic kind of, and it works essentially the same way, just with different chemicals. And uh, is it like one application or does it help to do multiple or does it just depend on the severity? Yeah, it depends on the severity um, and the amount of heat or light you can get to it. Um, The more heat light you get to it, the better. Um, I know some people have done it uh, inside inside without any UV light um, and it takes, one guy did it in about 24 hours. Uh, and it turned back and that's applying it multiple times. Um, and then if you, it's outside, you have four hours, you, you might be back, uh, back to good, uh, back to nice and yellow or nice and white plastic. Uh, so it just depends. You can apply it as many times as you want. Um, a couple things about applying it. You, you want to make sure you've got a good coat on it. Um, and then, uh, as you, as it's outside, uh, you want, may want to turn it just to make sure all, it's getting uh, your sun rays all over the place uh, on the on the piece of plastic, and then also um, kind of massage the retrobrite around to make sure it's kind of evenly distributed in areas. And that's what the the spray bottle really helps with is once you have it covered up, um, uh, just spraying in there instead of brushing it on over and over again is it is it pretty thin or or viscous or uh does it like cling yeah, to the fairly, surface yeah it, it clings uh it's uh it's a gel uh, okay. type uh it's not a super you're not going to take a clob of it and it's just going to sit there it will run on you but it's gonna be a little goopy here's a question from our chat um yeah. Could you make a concentrated version of Retrobrite and would it work any faster? Uh, you could. Um, so our Retrobrite uh, is around uh, 8%, 7%. Uh, you could make a, you know, a 30%, 40%, 100% hydrogen peroxide solution. Um, the thing that you're going to end up challenging with is making sure that that's stable um because you want to hydrogen peroxide just by itself is not stable um we've added stabilizers in so it's can be shelf stable um as you get higher and higher concentration it's you can get it stable but it's harder and harder to um and the other thing too is uh you can over bleach your your uh plastic as well 
and get it too too good where it's a little too too white um and it doesn't the match the, shift more the other direction right it, it doesn't match the original color and it just kind of looks weird um and we think with our formula we've kind of struck a good balance between being able to do it fairly quickly um and not having to deal with all the baggage that comes with higher and the and the um safety hazards that are associated with higher higher uh, concentrations of peroxide 100 percent hydrogen peroxide is can be used as a, a rocket fuel as as an oxidizer <laughs> so <clears throat> if you want to go that far just you just might go to nasa and pick up our fluoride guy <laughs> um so scott where can uh people find retrobrite uh where can they order it from yeah um you can buy it a couple different ways um we're on amazon ebay and then we also have uh, a website um uh, that's the retro www.retro-brite.com um you can buy it there um and uh if you guys enter a save 25 you can get 25 percent off your order for listening to this podcast very cool also go check out the blog there's some really cool uh posts that kind of cover all that we said here plus some and also i think you've also had other chats about this too and gone into uh things i think i saw something on youtube about this so uh, i think that's up on your blog i believe um if not we'll yeah there's a lot of uh retro bright videos out there yeah very cool all right well thank you so much scott for coming on our podcast and uh talking to us about retrobrite and the chemicals behind uh the chemistry behind of how it works and how plastics degregate (laughs) it's wonderful being on thank you for uh, let me come on here for a fourth time. I guess I haven't screwed anything up quite yet. <laughs> no, we'll have to have you back on in the fall for another idea fab as well. Cause that's, it's always a blast. That's, oh, we've got ideas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was the Macafab engineering podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig and Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later everyone. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at AnalogENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. And remember, you can get Scott's uh, RetroBrite at retro-bright, that's B-R-I-T-E, dot com. And also check out our Slack channel. You can find it at MacFab.com slash Slack. Or check out our live stream at twitch.tv slash macrofab.